over the course of the last 10 years, there have been roughly 7,500 movies released. On the Internet Movie Database, which we often refer to as IMDb, there are currently 1,093,093 feature films, shorts, and made-for-TV movies. I guess what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of movies out there, which some of us have seen more than others, and we're bound to have favorites. We've already, we've already went o- over our top 10 favorite movies of all time. Today, we're going to share our top 10 favorite movies of all time, part two. Uh, these will essentially be our overall 20 through 11 picks for favorite movies of all time. Before we begin, each of our list will refresh you with what our previous one through ten were. Okay, now that we have that out of the way, please meet us at the box office, grab your favorite theater snack and drink, and come along for the ride with John and Scott's Movie Talk as we list off our top ten favorite movies of all time, part two. Before we begin on today's show and for every other show, spoiler warning. All right, my part one, top 10, one through 10 was number one, Yankee Doodle Dandy, number two, The Shawshank Redemption, number three, Stand By Me, number four, The Martian, number five, 12 Angry Men, number six, Arsenic and Old Lace, number seven, Sleepers, number eight, A Time to Kill, number nine, Cocoon, and number 10, Pool Hall Junkies. Now, my number 10 for part two of favorite movies of all time is Mr. Holland's Opus. A 7.3 on IMDb came out in 1995. Tomato meter of 75% with an audience score of 84%. Directed by Stephen Herrick, written by Patrick uh, Sheehan Duncan. The film stars Richard Dreyfus, Glenn Headley, Jay Thomas, Olympia Dukakis, William H. Macy. Jean Louisa Kelly, Joanna Gleason, Forrest Whitaker, Terrence Howard, Alexandra Boyd, Anthony Natale, and Beth Maitland. Um, Every person portrayed as a deaf person in the movie uh, was deaf in real life. Glenn Holland is a musician and composer who takes a teaching job to pay the rent while In his spare time, he can strive to achieve his true goal. Compose one memorable piece of music to leave his mark on the world. As Holland discovers, life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. And as the years unfold, the joy of sharing his contagious passion for music with his students becomes his new definition of success. All right. Have you seen this? Remember this? I have. I have. It's it's been a it's been a while. So I mean, I don't. 
Um, I have it to watch again for some other lists, but yeah, it's it's been quite, I remember loving it, but I, I remember very little about this, it. This is one of the ones that I rewatched this past week, and it I, I was choosing between this and another one to rewatch, and I looked at the runtime and I'm like, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. It's two and a half hours, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I'm when I when I have my daughter, I'm basically I get her to bed, and then I have to make a decision on what one movie can I watch before I go to sleep. You know, sure. and and looking at two and a half hours, I'm like, okay. And, and I did, and I'm glad I did, because there's a lot of stuff in it I've forgotten about, and it, it it sort of reminded me of the fact that Richard Dreyfus isn't he. I don't think it could be nailed down of, of what he is as an actor. Like, oh, yeah. I don't. If I were to sit here and say what typical person he is there i don't think there is one <laughs> yeah unless unless you talk about more recent stuff where he's just an angry old man but <laughs> yeah coming up he's just a different thing i mean he's on jaws he's on this what about bob it's yeah he's all over the place and i liked him in this movie because this movie is is basically like the you you don't feel the length of the movie because there's you know three or four um, like time moving things where they kind of stitch together news clips and stuff like that that help you know you're passing through another 10 or 15 years of time so it's right. almost like you know three different movies because you you start out with him as a musician he's he's coming he's, he's was in a band playing you know california different places and it just wasn't working out and this is like 1965 and he takes this teaching job and his plan is to teach for four years and raise enough money to where he can create his symphony. And so the first part of the movie is him uh, going from horrible teacher to awesome teacher. Right. And then when he finally, in the next part, he finally is able to grasp how to be a good teacher he's a bad husband and a bad father <laughs> and, and it shows the next part of him trying to deal with that and then after that yeah. he you know he gets he gets back online and his son is born deaf and it shows him not really trying you know he doesn't um, and in the 60s and 70s, the doctors were the same. They're like, well, 
don't use hand signals because they'll never try to learn to talk, which is a you know pretty archaic way of thinking. Right. So he finally realizes that his he can connect with his son and he develops a way to showcase music with or his music with vibrations and lights and he does that and his him and his son bond and then end of the movie where it was I said it was probably happening a lot in the 90s is you know art programs are getting cut from schools and he gets fired because the music is just cut out of the school and um come to find out several of his past students have come to show recognition to him and they form this makeshift symphony for him to play his final piece at the end of the movie yeah it's a pretty powerful movie and i've got that the reason i have a connection to it is because my grandfather showed it to me would you stop that <laughs> and my grandfather showed it that was the first time i saw it Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? Like, when that was it? Were you younger or? I was probably between like ten and fifteen, somewhere. Okay, so probably around the time the movie came out, then. Yeah. Probably. It it was on tape, I think. So. Yeah. Maybe ninety six, ninety seven, something like that. Really. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, that's about probably the last time I saw it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the gist of the movie. Um, but yeah, I don't, uh, you know, but yeah, like you said, it's a two and a half hour movie. And there's, I'm sure there's a lot, you know, like you experienced, I'm sure there's a lot that I don't remember. And, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I do remember it being a very powerful movie. And, and back to Richard Dreyfus, Yeah, I mean, I don't really like to say like i have favorite actors because i there's a lot of actors that i like like and, and you hear me say that all the time in the show like i love that guy or you know like whatever like and there's very few actors or actors that i don't like just because you know i respect what they do i enjoy what they do and you know i may not like one of their movies but you know chances are i, I like a majority of them but anyways but richard dreyfus would probably if i had to sit and make a list of top 10 maybe even top five like he would definitely have to be on it because i mean he he just yeah, he just has to say, yeah, it's right. Yeah, I can't really say what it is, but he definitely has something that just is just totally unique um, because he could pretty much play anything uh, believably and just fit right into it. Um, you know? Well, he, I'm just now remembering, wasn't he also like a Jewish gangster in a movie? Yes, yes. I don't remember the, what movie yeah. that was, but... Yeah, I can't either, but I, I can picture I can picture him though. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in the '80s, I mean, he played yeah, he played a lot of like comedies and stuff. But uh, oh, and um, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, well, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, and he, I mean, he was in Stakeout, and um, he was in a movie called Let It Ride, uh, where he played this gambler or whatever, which is one of my favorite movies of him it's a little more of an obscure title but i think yeah 
I watched this and then I was going, I was thinking about Richard Dreyfus movies and going, you know, there's probably very, there's probably a lot more than I even realized. So I added him to the list. Okay. Of, yeah. <laughs> Good. Of, Good. of list to do. So. Yeah, I'm definitely up for that task because yeah, I, uh, but yeah, so yeah, this is definitely one of his more serious um, roles. But like I said, I mean, it, it, it's not that jarring to see him, you know, because in in a lot of his even some of his comedies and stuff, he he does have that um, that charm and that uh, sent sentimentality to him sometimes, um, you know. So he fits right in here. Um, as well so yeah yeah that's a good one like i said i definitely i've got it on my list already to to rewatch. so i'll probably be doing that here sometime in the near future hopefully so all right we're well, moving on to my list here let me go ahead and start with my previous top 10 um i had as my number one pulp fiction number two terminator two Number three, Back to the Future Part Two. Number four, True Romance. Number five, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Number six, Goodfellas. Number seven, Little Shop of Horrors. Number eight, Demolition Man. Number nine, Angels with Dirty Faces. And number 10, Joe versus the Volcano. All right, and here we go with my number 10 for my all-time favorite movies, Part Two. And it is Short Circuit from 1986 with an IMDb rating of 6.7, a 61% tomato meter and a 67% audience score. Uh, it was directed by John Badham uh, with a screenplay by S.S. Wilson and Brent Maddock. Uh, stars Steve Gutenberg, Ali Sheedy, Fisher Stevens, Austin Pendleton and G.W. Bailey. Uh, number five, one of a group of experimental military robots undergoes a sudden transformation after being struck by lightning. He develops self-awareness, consciousness, and a fear of the reprogramming that awaits him back at the factory. With the help of a young woman, number five tries to evade capture and convince his creator that he has truly become alive. Um, so yeah, this is, this is definitely one of those childhood uh, favorites of mine that I've watched countless times um you know when i was eight nine years old uh you know definitely definitely steadily rented this for you know quite a while um but uh but yeah i, I haven't rewatched it really you know real recently i've watched it you know probably within the last 10 years um you know or like you know less than 10 years ago but um or no more than 10 years ago but anyways uh so yeah and i still enjoyed it um i still enjoy the uh the silliness and the comedy of it and um i also was a big had a big crush on ali sheedy uh from from this movie uh and of course breakfast club um but uh it's a shame she didn't really do too much i don't know whatever happened to her she kind of disappeared sort of <laughs> kind of like Deborah Winger um but uh me and my buddy were actually talking I guess she's got a new show on on uh Freeform or something like some crazy drunk girl or something like that 
Um, it's about a girl who goes to recovery and something. Anyways, Ali Sheedy's in it. Um, and so anyway, we were talking about, you know, Ali Sheedy and how like we both had crushes on her when we were, you know, younger and, you know, no idea what happened to her. Now she's back in the show or whatever. So, um, and I did have the sequel on my, I believe it was on my bad sequels that we still love or some, some list, but, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I like the, I like the second one almost equally, uh, to this one. The only, the only thing is the second one does not have Ali Sheedy. So this, that kind of gives this one, a uh, <laughs> upper hand in my book. Um, but, uh, and I guess a lot of the effects were, uh, <clears throat> were done practically, um, you know, which I mean, which definitely shows like, um, there's not a whole lot of, you know, computerized or special effects, which this was kind of before that time anyway. I mean, special effects were really in their infancy at this point. Um, so uh, that was probably part of it. Plus, I know it was going to be uh, expensive for them to do uh, any sort of stop motion animation or anything like that. So they use practical effects. And that definitely, you definitely get the feeling of Johnny Five or Number Five, like being there, like physically. And, and you know, mm -hmm. there's definitely a believability to his personality too the way they're able to make him you know uh you know his facial um features and, and stuff like that that definitely make him feel like a genuine character and not just a uh you know robot uh so anyway uh i'm assuming you've seen this yeah it's also been a while for me but um i mean at at this time in history steve gutenberg was probably one of the biggest stars out there having come off yeah. police academy and cocoon and yeah um uh, right after this there's three men and a baby and a baby yeah so there's like a 10-year span like 82 92 where he was just it yeah and then he filled his face full of a bunch of fat and stuff but <laughs> yeah but yeah this is i keep i keep going back to um wally when i think of this mm -hmm. i think of wally yeah. and yeah, or um, vice versa like mm -hmm. anytime i see wally I, yeah think of this but i can yeah, I can faintly remember some instances in the movie. And also, it's one of those that in probably the 90s, it was just on TV. Oh, yeah. I remember it just being on TV yeah. all the Same. time. But Same. Yeah, it's definitely one I need to rewatch. Yeah. But it's, yeah, me too. And I, I just didn't get around to it. But I, I mean, like I guess I, I remember it pretty, pretty vividly. And, um, you know, like I said, I do remember watching it somewhat recently. It's still funny, hilarious. Like the last like 30 minutes are just a lot of like comedic action stuff with, with him, uh, with Johnny Five, you know, the robot or whatever, taking on the military. And of course, it's all slapsticky, you know, uh, you know, goofy stuff, but it's a lot of fun. And, <clears throat> There's actually kind of a sweet romance between um, Steve Gutenberg and Ali Sheedy. Yeah. So, anyway, but yeah. 
so yeah it's mainly on my list from you know just being one of my all-time favorites from you know I've, I've loved this movie since i can remember it's just one of those uh that i can remember for, like i said from my early childhood watching quite a bit and mm-hmm. so it's you know it's just one of those that that nostalgia factor just definitely holds a, a strong place still in my mind and heart as a as a you know genuine favorite so yeah that's a good one thank you all right my number nine is the never-ending story a 7.4 on IMDb came out in 1984. <clears throat> Tomato meter of 80% with an audience score of 81%. Directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Based on an awful by Michael End with screenplay written by Wolfgang Peterson and Herman Weigel and additional dialogue by Robert Easton. Uh, the film stars Barrett Oliver, Gerald McRaney, Thomas Hill, Deep Roy, Noah Hathaway, and Tammy Stronach. Uh, the film only covers the first half of the book that it's based on. Bastion is a young boy who lives a dreary life, being tormented by school bullies. On one such occasion, he escapes into a bookshop where the old proprietor reveals an ancient storybook to him, which he is warned can be dangerous. Shortly after, he borrows the book and begins to read it in the school attic, where he is drawn into the mythical land of Fantasia, which desperately needs a hero to save it from destruction. So I have seen this within the last two or three years, and it's it's there, there parts of it are campy and goofy, parts of it are serious and traumatizing, especially for people our age. And I yeah, I can't get enough of it. I think one of the interesting things is, you know, uh, Gerald McRaney, he's still acting. Um, he did Major Dad for a while. Mm-hmm. And then recently he was in um, This Is Us. He played uh, the doctor who delivered the triplets. Mm-hmm. And he's done several other things. And then um, Deep Roy. Uh, he plays the guy on the snail, the f- fast snail, in this film, and he's kind of a character actor. And the thing I can connect people to probably right now is Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the one with um, Johnny, Johnny Depp. Depp. He plays all of the Oompa Loompas in oh, that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty much, uh, yeah, Barrett Oliver did a couple more things. Um, Noah Hathaway did a couple more things. Tammy 
Stronach, who played the child empress. This was her only role for 30 years. And then I think she got back to it. She's a dancer and stuff. So yeah, for, I don't know, for this being overwhelmingly kid actors, it's, it. I don't know. It's For me, it's nostalgic. Falcor is just great. And I always, you know, I always remember him as being a dog. I don't know why. I thought he was yeah. a dog, but yeah. he's not. He's a dragon. Dragon. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he looks just like a dog. I mean, yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, I used to refer to him as a dog. And, uh, you know, when I was younger and all my friends at school would ever be like, he's a dragon. Like, <laughs> I mean, whatever. Because honestly, like I don't, I don't have as strong of feelings for this movie. Um, because I didn't, I didn't see this movie probably until I was a teenager. Um, hmm. and so yeah, I just, I just for some reason just didn't see this movie. I don't, you know, I don't know why. Um, because I'm pretty sure I was aware of it. I just never came up. Just never. I don't know for whatever reason. So yeah, so I just don't have that strong of a nostalgic feel for it uh but i mean i do like it i do think it's a good movie and i could see why you know I, I wish it's one of those movies that i watched and i was like man i wish i would have watched this when i was you know younger i would have i would have loved this movie mm -hmm. um and yeah so i yeah i kind of missed the boat on on this yeah one. you could you can imagine being seven eight years old watching the horse get stuck in the mud mm -hmm. and, yeah and, and, oh, and yeah giving up you know yeah but it it kind of the the ending kind of fixes all that which you don't really think about when you're that age you're like the, yeah. the horse <laughs> yeah 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 which i mean yeah even when i saw it when i saw it it was still kind of traumatizing if you will but um but yeah i mean and i i've also watched this somewhat recently uh, and I and I pretty much agree. With, I mean, there's some cheesy parts, but it's still it's still because um, I watched it with my kids and um, it still holds up to me. You know, I mean, it still looks pretty cool. I mean, for what it, for what it was, the you know, um, <clears throat> the effects or whatever you want to call it, it. Yeah, and it was. I mean, all of the Fantasia stuff that was all filmed in Germany. Yeah. And I bought the, I for the longest time, I'd been looking for the book. And I finally found it two or three years ago. And now it's just on a shelf. But okay, I, I, ready. no, I mean, the, the thing is, is it's, it's a German book, a German writer. So I don't know. You know, it, it it is translated specifically, all that kind of stuff. But I would be interested to know, like the the sequel to this and the third one. The sequel's okay, you know. I guess it it's not anything special, other than I mean, they brought in Jonathan Brandis as Bastion. Yeah, yeah. But, whatever and then the third one you know the big stars jack black before he was famous 
and he's basically yeah. just a bully. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think I've like, ever seen the third one. I don't know if I've seen it. I just know that it exists, and yeah. I know some things about it. But I'd like to know what the whole story is, because this is just the first half. Like, yeah, like what else happens? Yeah, yeah. That's why I was wondering if if you read it, because yeah, I didn't know that was that was the case either. Um, it was just half the story, so that's interesting. But uh, which it's good. Yeah, this I... is this is another one that would make a good you know, eight, ten episode Show. HBO Max series or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, just the world of Fantasia alone, you could do, you know, so much with, and especially these days with better, you know, effects and whatnot. So, but, I mean, it is it is cool to me. I mean, obviously, when you look at Falcor, it does obviously look like a puppet. But mm -hmm. it's amazing, though, that... um you do generally care for him though you know what i mean like mm -hmm. even though part of you is like the very aware that this is a puppet you're also like there's there's parts where it you know you still believe it's a you know it's a dragon you know like the it's not so obvious that it takes you out of the magic of the movie um so yeah it's a good one like i said i wish i wish i had seen it when i was younger but but yeah, there's still no denying it's a, it's a good movie. And I can understand why so many people love it. All right. Well, I guess we'll just move on to my number nine. And my number nine is Charade from 1963 with an IMDb rating of 7.9 uh, with a 94% tomato meter and a 92% audience score. Uh, it was directed by Stanley Donan uh, with a screenplay by Peter Stone and story by Peter Stone and Mark Bim. Uh, it stars Cary Grant, Audrey Hepburn, Walter Matthau, James Coburn, George Kennedy, and Ned Glass. Uh, a man is thrown off a train, and when the police locate his wife, it turns out she knew nothing about him, not even his real name. After her are four men who insist she's in possession of a huge amount of money, which they believe to be theirs. If she doesn't give it to them, she'll be killed. Um, so this is a movie I actually kind of forgot about. I've seen it like five times uh, over the years. I saw it first when I was when I was a teenager. Now, I'm a huge Alfred Hitchcock fan, and I was trying to decide which Alfred Hitchcock movie to put on my list. And then I came across this movie, which is not, it's, it's basically the, and it's been, it's considered the best Alfred Hitchcock movie that he never made um, because it's very much like a Hitchcock movie. He just happened to not direct it. Um, is he involved in any way? No, not at all. No. Okay. No. Um, I bet he feels good about that. <laughs> Do what? It's, I bet he feels good. He feels good about that. <laughs> All those yeah, great movies yeah. you did, this one is just like them, and it's better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they don't say that it's better. They just says the best film that he didn't make. So, oh, okay. You know the yeah. best Hitchcock, you know the best Hitchcock film that he didn't make. So, um, so yeah, but uh, but yeah, it's very much. I mean, you you would you would think if I didn't tell you that and you didn't know and you watched it and you were familiar with Hitchcock stuff, you would assume. Um, he made it. In fact, I may have thought that when I first saw it, but um, 
but yeah, because it's got Kay Grant, which worked with who worked with Hitchcock a lot. And um, yeah, it just has that that same story of, you know, an innocent person caught up in, you know, uh, you know, espionage and and whatnot. Um, and I and I, I love Cary Grant. Cary Grant is just um, he's just one of those actors that you, you know, you can see why he's an actor. He just has that natural charm and sense of humor and just presence on screen that you know it's just you can't teach that it's just he's just he's a natural born actor and uh and movie star so um and he's really this is one of his older you know later roles um and uh but it's one of my favorites um i know you had one of his on your last list the arsenic and old lace um and uh yeah i would say he's equally good here um i'm not really going to compare the, the movies because you know they're both they're very different types of movies yeah. so i would say this is better than that or or worse it's just you know <laughs> different but I, I like them both equally um and uh, and audrey hepburn you know um she this was at the height of her you know kind of success with uh breakfast at tiffany's and Roman holiday and whatnot. So, um, and this movie was actually remade in 2002 uh, as The Truth About Charlie, uh, which starred Mark Wahlberg and Tandy Newton. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was in the Cary Grant role and Tandy Newton in the Audrey Hepburn role. And then Tim Robbins um, was also in, and he took over, he was in the Walter Matthau role um, <clears throat> in that movie. Yeah, it's that also was not a, neither movie is a big. Um, you know, movie you probably hear a lot about. Have you have you seen Charade no. or <laughs> Truth About Charlie? Yeah. No. <laughs> um, which I mean, you could skip Truth About Charlie. I mean, it's okay, but I would definitely recommend Charade. It's it's just a fun. It's it's one of those like it's it's one of those movies that like the the how do I explain? It? Like the truth changes like every twenty minutes. So like everything that you think is going on, all of a sudden. It's not, but then you're like, wait a minute. So is this the truth? And the note, and the, you know what I mean? That's like, mm -hmm. and then you still like never really know until the very end, you know, everything kind of comes together. Um, and I, and I like that. I like a good mystery and, you know, I like, um, and, and it's, it's kind of a comedic, you know, it's kind of a comedic movie too. So it's not super serious. It, it has fun with that. Um, you know, like, like a Hitchcock movie. So <clears throat> I definitely recommend it to anybody who enjoys Hitchcock and has never seen this um they'll definitely enjoy it so i'm not saying it's better than anything hitchcock did i just i have a, a stronger affection for this movie <laughs> so that's why i put it on the list i don't i don't think it is better than hitchcock's movies i just <clears throat> there's just so many hitchcock movies that like it almost be easier for me to do a top 10 of of hitchcock than to try to pick one of his to include <clears throat> yeah on this list so <clears throat> Yeah, and I need to go on a week vacation and just watch Hitchcock movies. Because there's several I haven't seen. And the ones I have, I don't... There, there are fewer that I've watched on purpose than there are that I've seen just because I was in the same room. Sure, yeah. Because, you know, my dad's... 70 some years old so yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it definitely would be worth it because like I I actually went through and watched uh, <clears throat> a few years back. Went through and watched a lot of you know all of his movies. Um, and there's yeah, I mean they're they're all really good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, I mean there's like sixty of them. So I mean it took me <clears throat> took me a while to get finally get through them all, but. <clears throat> But yeah, I mean, they're all good. I mean, he's mostly known for some of his later work, but, um, you know, like Vertigo and Psycho and whatever. But he's got a lot of uh, earlier uh, movies that are just as good. Well, yeah, and Psycho, though, was it? That was a kind of a, a deferment from his usual sort of, yeah, his usual thing. Yeah, yeah, it was a little, yeah, I was, it was obviously a little more horror kind of thing. And he kind of, he kind of, because then shortly after that, he did The Birds and so like that. He kind of did a few movies that were kind of like that and then kind of went back to doing, um, you know, what he used to do is more thriller type stuff. But, But yeah, there's no, there's not a bad one in the bunch. So yeah, it wouldn't be a, a bad way to you know spend some time. And even if you didn't just spend a whole week watching them all, just you know, just if you just every once in a while just you know watched one, you know. Um, yeah, I don't. Know. Yeah. They're all like I said, they're all good, and you know, so. I definitely have charade on my list now. Uh, yeah, you won't. You definitely won't be disappointed there either. So, I. I mean, Cary Grant feels like a guy who, like in in Arsenic and Old Lace, you just laugh at. At him, like his delivery, it may it's, yeah. it may not be necessarily that funny, but he he makes it funny. Yeah, it's, yeah, and there's some of that here too. Yeah, I I would I would, I I he's one of those actors that like I would I guarantee I'll like anything he's in just just watching him. Um, and he's one of those actors I, I would like to go and watch, you know, because I've only I've only seen probably a handful of his movies. Um, because I hadn't seen Arcs that are gonna lace until you you know brought it up last time and i'm sure there's tons of other ones um that i haven't seen so yeah i I need i need to go through and watch his just go and spend some time just watch some Cary grant movies because yeah i I just enjoy watching him so yeah like i said yeah because of that comedic just sly delivery that he has um so anyway that's that's all i got for all right. Great. All right. My number eight is the newest movie on my list on this set of ten. Um, Kubo and the Two Strings. 7.8 on IMDb came out in 2016. Tomato meter of 97% with an audience score of 86%. 
directed by Travis Knight, screenplay written by Mark Hames and Chris Butler, with story help from Shannon Tyndall. The film stars Art Parkinson, Charlize Theron, Matthew McConaughey, Rafe Fiennes, Rooney Mara, George Takei, Brenda Vaccaro, and Carrie Hiroyuki Tagawa. Kubo lives a quiet, normal life in a small shoreside village until a spirit from the past turns his life upside down by reigniting an old, age-old vendetta. This causes all sorts of havoc as gods and monsters chase Kubo, who, in order to survive, must locate a magical suit of armor once worn by his late father, a legendary samurai warrior. <coughs> Uh, before I get into it, have you seen this? Yes. Okay. So Travis Knight, this is his first time as a director. Um, he helped in animation with the box trolls, the box trolls, Paranorman, Coraline, um, some other shorts with yeah, those were all done with Lucia by Lucia Studios. They were all done with the same yeah. studio that, that made this. And this this is this is on my list because it's not it's not only um oh, what's the word? Let me just read this. Here's a the website, the Rotten Tomatoes website's critical consensus. Kubo and the Two Strings matches its incredible animation with an absorbing and bravely melancholy story that has something to offer audience of all ages. So it's it's very original. Um, there's, uh, it, it, the tags say animation, action, adventure. So, I mean, it's, there's also very humorous aspects to the movie, but the thing that gets me is it's, it's stop motion. And when you think you, people our age think stop motion, you think, Gumby or you know Christmas you know uh, Frosty the Snowman yeah. Rudolph the Red Rose Ranger that that kind of stuff and the stuff I you know Coraline and Paranorman that too well a Nightmare Before Christmas yeah yeah, but I think that knowledge along with this story and this script, it, it kind of just it blew me away the first time I watched it. And this is another, this is the second one that I watched this past week. Just to make sure, because I'm moving stuff around. I'm like, I need to stick something in there. And 
this popped up. I'm like, oh, that is a great movie. Yeah. And this is McConaughey's first animated movie, which he's now done Sing and Sing 2. But it, 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 I mean, you almost can't tell it's McConaughey just because, I mean, you can if you know, but there's no southern draw. There's no laid back. It's all, and, and he gets most of the humor stuff. But what do you think? Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. I, uh, I like, I, too was blown away i i like the stop motion stuff i think it's really cool and um this is definitely my favorite of all the all those movies that you listed uh maybe maybe Coraline is the closest um out of those but uh but yeah it, it is amazing um the the work that must have gone into making this um because it is in a very elaborate you know story and the fact, yeah, the fact that it's slow or stop motion is just. Yeah, the, the ship scene where he, he creates the ship out of like leaves. Mm -hmm. That took 18 months to create. And all of those leaves were singly put on to that ship. And there was like 149,000 of them. Yeah. So there's that. And. The skeleton where they retrieve the sword from out of the head. Yeah. The skeleton was 18 feet tall. So that was the, the largest yeah. subject ever created for stop motion before. Oh, yeah, see, I didn't even know that. So there's other technical stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, the only, the only thing that... Nah, I was gonna say it's a it's a foreign concept with an all white <laughs> all white people, but they're not they're not putting on accents or anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, George George Decay's in there too. George Decay's not gonna attach himself to something he doesn't believe. Yeah. In, so yeah. Well, and I think the the culture and the characters are still represented, and yeah, I mean. Um, but I mean, that happened with Studio Ghibli too. A lot of those, um, you know, anime movies when they were, you know, translated over here, or, you know, they were dubbed with, you know, English speakers, of course, you know, mm -hmm. you've got all white, you know, characters. But the whole point is to appeal to, you know, so you got, you get the famous people and, you know, of the time. So, um, but yeah, I also, um, the one thing I wanted to add um, is I, this is probably one of my favorite type of animation movies, which nowadays it's not so, with with more prevalent special effects but um especially when i was a kid and, and teenager like animation was able to create worlds and tell stories that you couldn't really do in you know within the physical you know whatever so you got to see stuff that you know you wouldn't otherwise get to see otherwise other than in an animated uh film and this kind of it's kind of a throwback to that um you know kind of like you said it's an adventure um type story um so and i think the animation adds to it especially being stop motion it's just yeah it just adds an extra uh layer you, on that so yeah if you i mean if while you're watching it if you just stop and think this is stop motion it's just mind-blowing yeah but even if you don't think about it, it just, just the 
Mm-hmm. What stop animation does differently than regular animation just adds an extra, you know, quality to the actual experience of watching it too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, and the more there's a 3D. I mean, not, yeah. it's not 3D because it's actually there. It's yeah, not... yeah. So it does add this extra level of to it that you wouldn't get through. You know, even computer, even computer animation. You know, you wouldn't have to get that same feel of grittiness or whatever I, I i don't you know i don't know if that's the right word either but there's just definitely an extra level that that this movie brings stop motion brings to the story and the overall effect of the movie um that yeah it's a it's a great movie i, I love it it's one of my yeah one of my favorite animation movies um of the last you know several years um more than you know newer ones yeah, good, and, good. and like I said about McConaughey, I think the same goes for Charlize and Ray Fiennes and Rooney Mara's. You have to you have to strain to recognize that that's them. Yeah, like you you can, but there's so much there's it there's I feel like there's a lot of feeling and a lot of other stuff going into their just their vocal performance that adds to the experience too yeah yeah i can't really speak on that because i haven't seen it long enough that i don't remember their Mm -hmm. specific vocal performances um but i can say that i that that's almost a tribute to because i don't remember them actually you know standing out because i was you know more wrapped up in the story and they were they did their characters so i remember the characters more than i remember any specific voice or any vocal performance so one of my favorite bits in the movie is there's they've come to somewhat of a serious situation and there's monkey and beetle and kubo all there mm-hmm. and they're like discussing or whatever and and monkey's like do you have any questions and beetle goes if you're a monkey and i'm beetle how come he's not just boy <laughs> <laughs> and that 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 happens enough in there to give it that little more tingle i think yeah yeah but yeah it's definitely definitely a good one yeah i definitely i I probably need to rewatch it now that we talked about it It makes me want to go it's one of yeah it's one of those movies that i think i had to i think i had to rent it on prime yeah because it was i saw it on netflix when it when it first came to streaming yeah i think that's where i saw it too and you just i just happened upon it because i'm like let's um not watch frozen today (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'll probably uh watch this with my boys sometime in the near future because i don't think they've seen it so I know they'll enjoy it. So thank you for that. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I had I, I kind of forget. It's just one of those movies I don't, you know, hadn't thought of in in a minute. But <clears throat> kind of disappointed in myself that I hadn't. Because I'm always looking for good movies for the boys to watch. You know, rather than the same old, you know, kind of like what you're saying with Frozen. You know, I'm always trying to like gear them towards you know something new. And <clears throat> yeah, and this has got samurais and talk oh yeah that's what i'm saying they'll yeah they'll they'll love it like yeah so i'm I'm kind of ashamed i haven't thought of this since because right up their alley 
the kind of stuff they like. So, all right, my number eight um, is Tequila Sunrise from 1988 with an IMDb rating of 6.1, uh, 52% tomato meter, and a 40% audience score. Uh, it was directed by Robert Town uh, with a screenplay by Robert Town. Uh, it stars Mel Gibson, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kurt Russell, Raul Julia, JT, JT Walsh, Arliss Howard, and Ari Gross. Uh, Mac McCusack, uh, played by Mel Gibson, is an unlikely drug dealer who wants to go straight. His old and best friend, Nick Frescia, played by uh, Kurt Russell, is now a cop who is assigned to investigate and bring him to justice. Mac is very attracted to Joanne, played by Michelle Pfeiffer, the owner of a stylish restaurant. Nick gets close to Joe, uh, to Joanne, attempting to know more about Mac's drug dealing plans and his connections with the Mexican dealer Carlos, played by Raul Julia, who the police believe is coming to town to meet with him. Nick also falls for Joanne's charms and his friendship with Mac is in danger. So the, very, the basic story structure is pretty familiar. Um, you got the old childhood friends, one becomes a cop, one becomes a you know, crook. And, um, and then uh, you've also got the old you know, love triangle where you, know, you got two friends and you know, the friendship gets tested over a woman. Um, however, the, the movie isn't as familiar as it sounds um, because those elements don't play out exactly like you would expect them to um, just from that description. Um, and so, uh, have you seen this? Seen this? Um, yeah, no, this is a I go ahead. I might have, but I can't. I can't say yes. It's it's already on my watch list, and it probably is because I think you added uh, top ten Michelle Pfeiffer movies, and as soon as i saw that i went through and i'm like oh i don't remember so yeah i'm sure i'm sure i've been in the same room when this movie was on but that's as far yeah. as i can go fair enough yeah so i mean i won't go too much into detail um more about the story but um but you kind of get the idea um but yeah this is one of those that i i i've like since I was a kid, uh, I was a huge Michelle Pfeiffer fan, so I watched all of her movies, um, and uh, this was definitely one of my favorites of hers. Um, and I, you know, and I, I always loved Mel Gibson too, uh, you know, and Kurt Russell. So I mean, um, you know, I because I, I watched pretty much everything that all three of those ever did. So I mean, the, you know, this was bound to to come up uh, either way. But uh, but yeah, so. Um, and it also it also is, is right up my alley for the kind of movies that I like. It's you know it's that gritty kind of film noirish um, type of thing. It's actually directed uh, by the guy who wrote um, Chinatown, which is one of my favorite uh, movies of all time as well. Um, but um, but yeah, he actually um, so Robert Town having written Chinatown, he was having a lot of trouble with. Jack Nicholson, who they were really close friends with, um, trying to make a sequel to that movie. And I guess their friendship kind of got severed or strained. And so he kind of wrote this screenplay um, or at least used that um, to better, you know, um, tell the story of this, this strained friendship within the story. Um, 
line, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, there's not really much else to say. Um, it's, you know, it's Mel Gibson doing what he does best. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, you know, she's never been, you know, been better than um, she is here. Um, and, uh, and same with Kurt Russell. I mean, they're, you know, they're all playing their, their kind of typical roles. Uh, and um, I guess at one time, though, uh, originally, because uh, it took a few years to get the movie made, but originally, uh, they were going to, uh, Robert Town wanted Nick Nolte and Jeff Bridges, who were actually, you know, real best friends in real life. Um, you know, Nolte would have been the cop and then Bridges would have been the, would have been the, you know, the Mel Gibson character, the drug dealer. But I can't say how that would have been. I, I, I like, you know, I like that Mel Gibson and Kurt Russell were in it because I think they perfectly... Um, especially, you know, in 1988, at the time this was made, and at that time, you know, that was definitely more, um, you know, the matchup that I think, uh, you know, I would have enjoyed. I don't know that I would have enjoyed this movie as much back then anyway. I probably would have made this list. I still want to like, thought it was a good movie, but, um, but yeah, again, that's only conjecture because, I mean, who knows? You never know. I, would, I might have liked it even more. You know, I mean, there's, there's really no way to tell how right. it out any other way. But, but as it is, uh, it's, uh, it, you know, I love this movie. It's definitely one of my one of my favorites, and so yeah, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah. Oh, I did. Speaking of Mel Gibson, I did watch Mad Max the other day like the original like no. very first or the oh the the fury road yeah it was good do you think yeah i'll just leave it at that for now it <laughs> yeah, okay was, it was good yeah fair enough yeah we can i i didn't get by the first like three or four minutes because it was like confusing and then after that i'm like oh this is good <laughs> yeah yeah well, there's a lot. Be well, because there's really no story. It really does. Mm -hmm. It really has to cover a lot in that little bit. Because then the whole rest of it's just one long chase. Yeah. So you really have to cover and like kind of explain where, what kind of world this is, and who this guy is, and where mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, it does. It is kind of confusing at first, but then you kind of just go along with it. And whether you really understand it, you get enough of the gist. You know. So, but yeah. <clears throat> anyway, that's all I got from my number eight. So. Okay. All right, my number seven is uh, probably the most on-the-nose movie for an elder millennial or a young Gen Xer, which is The Goonies. <laughs> 7.8. On IMDb, came out 1985, a tomato meter of 77% with an audience score of 91%, directed by Richard Donner, story by Steven Spielberg with screenplay written by Chris Columbus. Uh, the film stars Sean Astin, Josh Brolin, Jeff Cohen, Corey Feldman, Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, Ki Hui Kwan, Joe Pantoliano and Anne Ramsey. 
there is a recent movie that came out on Netflix called Finding Ohana with several parodies um, from the Goonies and Ki Hui Kwan makes an appearance in that movie. And that and, and this bit of trivia is why I added to the list top 10 ripoff movies. Mikey and his friends have always wanted to go on an adventure. One night, they were all in Mikey's attic, and Mikey stumbles across an old map. Mikey has always wanted to know if One-Eyed Willie ever was a real person, and now he might. They set off and later realize that they have to go through the evil Mama Fratelli's restaurant to get to a secret passage to the caves. As they try to get into the caves, Mama Fratelli catches Chunk, and he is left behind. He then meets Sloth, one of Mama Fratelli's sons, with a messed up face. He, he befriends Sloth. Meanwhile, Mama Fratelli and her sons are trying to get to the treasure, too. Will the kids make it there before Mama Fratelli does? Will Chuck ever get out of her basement? Yeah. So John uh, Matsuzak plays Sloth. He's an old football player. And Robert Davy also plays one of the Fratelli children. Yeah. Um, a lot of these people are still in the game. Um, I do know Jeff Cohen, who played Chunk. He is now a a lawyer in Hollywood. He specifically for actors and stuff like that, which yeah. is pretty cool. And in fact, whenever there was like eighty five, ninety five, two thousand, like I think it was a. 25 year anniversary DVD that came out mm -hmm. and the majority of them all gathered again to do um, uh, what, what is commentary? it? Uh, yeah, commentary. commentary. So I've watched, I bought that and watched that with that commentary mm -hmm. and that was pretty cool. I mean, there's not much to say about this. I mean, several of these people are, like I said before, Sean Astin is uh, the last I remember he was in Stranger Things. Um, yeah. Josh Brolin. Is yeah. everywhere right now. Uh, Martha Plimpton was in Frozen Two, and she had that raising. She was in Raising Hope, mm -hmm. which was a pretty good show that went for many years. Yeah. So yeah, and of course Steven Spielberg, Richard Donner, Chris Columbus. You know, 
Yeah. Do you have anything to add? I mean, no. I mean, not really. Other than I did not miss the boat on this one. This was definitely one that uh, I saw when I was, you know, younger. And yeah, this was, I mean, this is this this movie was like, yeah, this was the movie. If you were a you know six, seven, eight year old boy in late eighties, early nineties, I mean, you know, like this movie was basically made just for you, um, because I mean, yeah. <clears throat> It's just every boy's dream, you know, like that, especially when we were younger, going outside and, and playing and, and pretending and doing stuff like the idea of going and going after treasure and, you know, a, a ship and pirates and, you know, and supposed monsters. And, you know, it's just it's got yeah, it's got everything that, you, you know, that you could possibly want. And, yeah, it's, it's just a fun, funny, you know scary kind of you know i mean it was kind of scary you know mm -hmm. mama was scary and you know i mean there's you know there's you know genuinely scary moments in it um you know so yeah i mean it was just a good such a good movie i think the only other piece of trivia the only thing i want to bring up is uh data excuse me kihui kwan who plays data and he also played in the second Indiana Jones yeah, movie. Yeah, short round. Short round. He had promised his mother that he wouldn't swear in the movie. So there's a line in the movie where he spells out S-H-I-T. Yeah. And he spells it out because he promised his mom that he wouldn't swear. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty cool. And he's also uh, yeah, the one... Sure. Oh, go ahead. He's also the one where, you know, reading that commentary or listening to that commentary, he's the one that caused a lot of um, like corpsing or like um, laughing among the kids mm -hmm. when he was delivering mm -hmm. his lines because there's that at the beginning of the movie, they're, you know, on their way to the restaurant and they see them bringing out bags of stuff and notice mm -hmm. that there's bullet holes in the cars and all this and his line is so what's in the bag <laughs> and, he, and like the way he said it while they're trying to film their takes is that made every all the kids laugh him trying to get yeah. that out over and over again yeah yeah and he is very funny in the movie mm -hmm. um but yeah, I mean, I say it's, you know, it's, you know, especially for boys, uh, obviously, you know, it's not just for boys, but I just saying like, I can only speak as a boy and it definitely, you know, being as though it's main characters are boys, but, um, but I mean, this was actually, this is Brandy's favorite movie um, of all time. Um, so, I mean, she loved it. And, uh, and I, I, I introduced this to my, we introduced this to my boys, you know, like probably six or seven months ago. And of course they, they loved it um so yeah definitely still holds up for you know it's definitely one of those movies that will just be around i can't imagine you know I'm sure just every generational you know discover it and enjoy it just as much yeah and there's all i mean every year it seems like there's talks of a sequel <laughs> yeah you know, it's really, I mean, the only thing you could really do is just really more do a remake. Um, 
you know, and just have a new set of kids on a new adventure. Yeah. And, and you um, know, maybe have it be the kids char- of, yeah, their characters' kids. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Something along those lines. But, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely ripe for it. It is the kind of story that would actually probably make, could possibly make a decent sequel because there's other types of adventures that you could do. And especially nowadays, you know, you could, you know, update it to something, whatever. I don't know what, but, um, but yeah. So, I mean, there's, yeah, there's definitely potential for, you yeah. know, it wouldn't have to be the exact same movie um, just with some, you know, just a similar structure. Something digital like that. Um... There's the not horror, but that thriller movie where the dad is trying to find his daughter and oh, he, searching. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they could do a twist like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or geocaching. I mean, that's <laughs> a big thing. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like, there's there's lots of possibilities that they could do. Um, you know, and just basically, I just have, have basically just a, a new set of kids <laughs> on a similar type of thing but but yeah it would definitely be different though because like i said there's just something about like you know because back then like because nowadays i you know i couldn't picture like those kids being able to go on that type of adventure because you know like everybody has such a tight rein on their kids now, you know, like back in the day, like you could just go and run around and, you know, be home by dark or be home, you know, by eight, whatever time, you know, um, and your parents kind of knew where you were, but, you know, not, uh, not as much, but, you know, now, especially with cell phones and everything, like, you know, you always know where your kids are and you don't let them go, you know, they really don't go out and just go play, um, you know, too much anymore. So I don't know so it's definitely a movie of its time in that sense um you know so but again you could still do it you would just it would just be that different type of thing where you know obviously the kids have cell phones and so there you'd have to you know incorporate that in and you know obviously you know whatever so all their parents are famous actors now (laughs) yeah (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, no, that was, that was a good one. I love that movie. All right. Well, I'm going to switch gears here. Um, and uh, this is definitely the oldest movie on my list. Um, uh, my number seven is A Night in Casablanca, uh, which came out in 1946 with an IMDb rating of 7.0, uh, 57% tomato meter, and a 69% audience score. Uh, directed by Archie Mayo, uh, with a screenplay by Joseph Fields and Roland Kibbe, uh, starring the March Bro- Brothers, uh, Groucho Marx, Chico Marx, and Harpo Marx, and also starring Charles Drake, Lois Collier, Sig Ruman, and Lisette Varia. Uh, in post-war Casablanca, Ronald Cornblow is hired to run a hotel whose previous managers have all wound up being murdered. French soldier Pierre suspects the involvement of ex-Nazis, specifically Count Pfefferman. In reality, the notorious Henrik Stubel. But Pierre himself is accused of collaborating with the enemy and attempts to clear his name with the help of his girlfriend Annette and KG buddy Corbaccio. 
They enlist the aid of Pfefferman's beleaguered mute valet, Rusty, and discover a horde of war booty the Nazis have cached in the hotel. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, the plot doesn't really matter. It's really just uh, a setup for some comedic gags from the Marx Brothers, um, who I love. There's, it's another one I could have chosen, um, you know, a lot, several of their movies. Um, and this isn't, this isn't, this is considered one of their lesser movies that came out after, you know, like 10 years after their heyday, um, which included movies like uh, A Night at the Opera, A Day at the Races, Duck Soup, uh, Animal Crackers, Monkey Business. Um, yeah, I mean, they had a lot of hits uh, and they're all funny and they're all worth worth checking out. Uh, this this is just my personal favorite. I just find some of the gags here funnier and um uh i don't know in, in a way less dated maybe but um but uh but yeah so uh, have you have you seen this have you seen any marks I, I i don't know if i've seen this one specifically or not like you know with with my dad this this was on or three stooges or yeah any number of similar things was on frequently. Um, yeah. And I've, I find myself researching the Marx brothers every once in a while, just because. Yeah. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah. They were funny and yeah, they're, mm -hmm. Their comedy still holds up. Like there's some of the stuff, like I said, there's some of it obviously that's dated. I mean, you know, like the earlier stuff is like late twenties, early thirties, um, you know, going all the way up until here, you know, this one being in 1946 or whatever, but. Um, yeah. And Groucho went on even further in that because he was on Jack Benny. Yeah. Yeah. And he was did that game show, you bet your life or whatever. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, he he yeah he did a lot of solo stuff on his own after this, um, but yeah, I, I actually like. I mean, I, I love Groucho a lot, but I actually like uh, Chico and and Harpo better, um, just because they you know their their stuff is a little more um, it holds up a little better maybe because a lot of Groucho stuff is verbal, and so a lot of his jokes, while some of it's funny, just because like it doesn't even matter if you understand what he's saying, his delivery a lot of the times is funny enough to carry it. Um, but uh, both Chico and, and Harpo, Harpo, who's the silent one and is definitely just strictly physical comedy, like he cracks me up, like just his facial expressions and just, you know, um, but they but Chico and, uh, and Harpo are generally like they play the buddies They're you know, they're friends and almost every single one of them. And so they kind of play off each other and they have a really good um, funny rapport and stuff. And I really like Chico. He plays the piano and the way he plays the piano is just, like. I've never seen somebody who's just is who's almost more fun to watch play than hear, you know, like because just the, the act of him playing a piano is both like entertaining and sometimes even funny because uh, he does this like uh, pointing, like shooting the keys kind of thing that he does, which is like <laughs> just, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, Harpo plays the the, the harp, uh, which is where he got his where he gets his name from um and it's even entertaining to watch him that's really the only parts of the movie that aren't funny is when it stops for him to you know kind of play the heart but it's even so it's still just 
you know, the movie doesn't stop. It's still very entertaining to watch and his facial expressions and him, whatever. So, yeah, so that's why it made my list. I just, yeah, I've, I've liked, these, liked these movies since I was younger. And I really, I had only seen a couple of them when I was younger and really came back to them, you know, maybe 15 years ago, um, 15, maybe 20. But yeah, definitely in the last 20 years kind of went through and started watching them again and rediscovering them and really starting to appreciate them. And yeah, like I said, this one is my my favorite so not necessarily saying it's their best but just my personal favorite so um yeah i guess they were uh they want because this came out like five years after they, they didn't do movies for five years and then they did this one and um the studio wanted harpo to talk they were they were they offered him fifty thousand dollars um <laughs> but who knows what that is equivalent to nowadays but um, they gave him, they wanted to give him $50,000 just to speak a single word in the movie. Cause they, they were going to advertise, you know, this movie as, you know, Harpo finally talks or whatever, uh, which is, I guess is probably similar to Garbo talks, which was a thing in the thirties or something. But anyway, um, but yeah, he refused to do it. He didn't, you know, he didn't, you know, he wanted to stick to his, you know, his shtick that he'd been doing for years. So, but yeah i was looking i mean this this reminded me of um oh there it is laurel and hardy mm -hmm. yeah or abbott and costello yeah and there's a, i i have a favorite laurel and hardy movie which i'll keep to myself for now but, yeah yeah but it, i don't know it's one of those things where we we had a tape of it, so I watched it, and then then uh, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's usually how it goes. Which I think that that's probably why this one is my favorite too, is because I think this was the first one that one that I watched um, of theirs. Um, definitely one of the firsts um, when I was younger. So it's kind of similar similar thing is yeah it's just you know the first yeah the first one that you're introduced to the one that you know mm -hmm. kind of becomes the one that you love but all right well i'm going to bring us to a little bit more current times <laughs> with my number six which is room and 8.1 on imdb came out in 2015 tomato meter of 93 percent with an audience score of 93 percent directed by <clears throat> Directed by Lenny uh, Abramson, based on a novel by Emma Donahue, who also wrote the screenplay. The film stars Brie Larson, Jacob Tremblay, Sean Bridges, no, Sean Bridgers, Amanda Bruegel, Joan Allen, and William H. Macy. Uh, Brie Larson won the Best Actress at the Academy Awards for this film. 
uh, Rome tells the extraordinary story of Jack, a spirited five-year-old who is looked after by his loving and devoted mother. Like any good mother, Ma dedicates herself to keeping Jack happy and safe, nurturing him with warmth and love and doing typical things like playing games and telling stories. Their life, however, is anything but typical. They are trapped, confined to a 10 by 10 foot space that Ma has euphemistically called Room. Ma has created a whole universe for Jack within Room, and she will stop at nothing to ensure that, even in this treacherous environment, Jack is able to live a complete and fulfilling life. But as Jack's curiosity about their situation grows, and Ma's resilience reaches its breaking point, they enact a risky plan to escape, ultimately bringing them face-to-face -face with what may turn out to be the scariest thing yet, the real world. So for, for a time, I when I'm at work, I'm usually listening to podcasts. And a lot of times they're true crime podcast. And I work in an office and I sit at a computer and draw stuff all day for eight hours a day. And sometimes you get tired of. Uh, there, there's one I don't listen to anymore, but I used to. But um, one of the taglines is, you know. The podcast that shows you that monster, the, the real monsters are real or something like that, yeah. you know, so you, so instead for a time, I would listen to books on tape and I listened to, you know, Ready Player One. Um, actually, recently I listened to Ready Player Two, which is really good. And I listened to this one room and i listened to it uh knowing that it was a movie but i decided to, to listen to it first and then to watch the movie and it was just amazing because if i if i remember right the screenplay was finished before the book came out. So it was one of those things where she was writing the book and it got optioned, you know, per word of mouth or whatever. And then, and then she created the screenplay along with finishing the book. So have you, have you, do you know anything about the book? No. No. Have you seen the movie? Yes. Okay. So it, the book is all first person from Jack. Okay. And it's it's one of those situations where you you listen to it and after about 20 minutes you're 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 engrossed and you're angry because you're like why didn't I think of this? <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard a book that is predominantly adult themed 
from a point of view of a five-year-old or whatever. Yeah. And it's a great book. I would suggest yeah. anybody listen to it or read it. It's great either way. Yeah. Um, this movie is, I think, just as great. And it deals with the aspects of the book wonderfully. And it's still kind of tied into, it's more of a, you know, most true crime, crime happens, person dies, and then hopefully we figure out how that happened. There aren't very many stories of where the person's found 10 years later alive. Yeah. And this is one of those stories. And it's, just phenomenal i don't know what do you think yeah, yeah. no I, I agree it's a great movie um and uh and yeah you're right it, it that's part of what makes it so interesting is the fact of like dealing with the aftermath of it because mm-hmm. the way her parents treat her and their child and especially the child um you know because of who the you know because of whose child it is and all that and the way you know because you know and so it's like it's a constant reminder and yeah so there's just a lot of like you know that still dealing with the trauma even after it's you know even after it's over and you know the whatever yeah it's just and there's a reason brie larson won um you know best actress i mean she's phenomenal uh mm-hmm. in the film and, and jacob tremblay too i mean he was yeah he, he probably deserved an oscar i mean i, I like him yeah i've he's since gone and done other you know really good uh performances but yeah i mean here i mean this is oh my goodness like and he was yeah he was eight he was eight years old playing a five-year-old and yeah it was it was pretty great yeah yeah Uh, but i definitely i definitely want to read the book now especially hearing what you you know said about the first person yeah, because you, I mean, you can remember how he talks mm-hmm. in the movie. Yeah. And of course, you know, he's five and he, he the, the schooling he has has been from his mom. Right. And it's sort of interesting when, when she's starting to uh, create this plan and in order to do so she has to convince him of what he needs to do and like he doesn't believe her that (laughs) that yeah there's the world is bigger than the room yeah yeah because that's all he knows he's yeah Mm -hmm. yeah But yeah, Jacob, he also did, um, let me find it. He did one of those movies, yeah, Wonder. He was really good yes. in that. Uh, I, I loved that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the one I was thinking of, uh, especially. Because, uh, I mean, he, he's been in a couple uh, that I really liked, but that's the one that always comes to mind, along with Room. Yeah, he was the voice of Luca in the Luca movie. Oh, yeah. I 
haven't seen that yet, but he was in The Predator. Is he the kid that creates the problem that turns the switch that brings the Predators back to Earth or whatever? I, I, I'm trying to think. I, it's been a minute since I've seen it. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I don't remember. I, well, I think, yeah, I think the, the main character in the Predator who's, who's like going after the Predator or whatever, um, I think he has a kid and maybe that's... Uh. Cause they go stay at his ex-wife or his wife's or ex-girl whatever's house and she, so yeah i think i think that's where he played but yeah it's i mean it's been long enough that i don't remember every little detail like that so coming up he's going to play in the toxic avenger oh interesting and it doesn't they don't have characters under the actors but i imagine he would be the the main person possibly yeah i mean i would think he would be old enough at this point to be playing uh, yeah so that would make sense yeah. i suppose but yeah no, that's a, that's a really good really good movie that that this one just barely got inched off of my first 10 because i had a moment where i'm like It's it's too new right now. Yeah, like it's great, but maybe it's a little too new. Yeah, and now and and this time around, I couldn't leave it off. <laughs> yeah, no, I yeah, I don't blame you. It is, it is a great movie. So yeah. All right. Well, my number six um, is a lot lighter uh, fare than that, but um, it is adaptation from two thousand two. Uh, with an IMDb rating of 7.7, 90% tomato meter, and 85% audience score. Uh, it was directed by Spike Jones, uh, screenplay by Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, uh, based on the book The Orchid Thief by Susan Orlean. Uh, stars Nicolas Cage, Meryl Streep, Chris Cooper, Tilda Swinton, Jay Tavare, Doug Jones, and Curtis Hansen. Uh, while his latest movie, Being John Malkovich, is in production, screenwriter Charlie Kaufman is hired by Valerie Thomas to adapt Susan Orlean's nonfiction book, The Orchid Thief, for the screen. Thomas bought the movie rights before Orlean wrote the book when it was only an article in The New Yorker. The book details the story of rare orchid hunter John LaRoche, whose passion for orchids and horticulture made Orlean discover passion and beauty for the first time in her life. Charlie wants to be faithful to the book and his adaptation, but despite LaRoche himself being an interesting character in his own right, Charlie is having difficulty finding enough material in LaRoche to fill a movie, while equally not having enough to say cinematically about the beauty of orchids. At the same time, Charlie is going through other issues in his life. His insecurity as a person doesn't allow him to act upon his feelings for Amelia Kavan, who is interested in him as a man. And Charlie's twin brother, pretentious Donald, has moved into his house with the goal of also becoming a screenwriter. Despite not admiring Donald as a screenwriter, Charlie asks for his advice. Together, they feel that there is some interesting subtext in the book on which Orlean herself can only elaborate. If only Charlie has the nerve to talk to her. If she can't or won't elaborate, they may have to find out the meaning of that subtext on their own. Um, so yeah, so Nicolas Cage plays both Charlie and Donald. Um, and this one's a little tough to explain because 
they're really like Charlie Kaufman really is the screenwriter of this movie. And he's basing it off of the book, The Orchid Thief, which was written by Susan Orlean, who's a real person. There is no actual twin brother, though. That that part is made up. Um, that is fictional. But um, Charlie Kaufman was trying to write this movie and could not adapt the movie. Like like it said, like he wanted There wasn't enough in the character. There was he didn't feel he could, you know. He didn't understand how to bring the beauty of orchids to the screen and make it interesting. And um, so he decided the actual Charlie Kaufman decided to write that into his story and write himself into the script. And he created the Donald character um, as kind of his worst tendencies. Um, and in a, in a way to, cause he turns the movie into sort of a thriller and kind of all these kind of cliches and stuff that the Donald brother represents um he kind of kind of works their way into the actual screenplay of the movie that you it's so yeah it's, it's kind of confusing um but uh that's part of the fun and one of the reasons i love the movie so much i mean obviously i love movies and so the insider stuff um in this movie is right up my alley it's the kind of stuff that I, you know that interests me um I, I like i'm a writer i like to write so the writing aspect of it um i can relate to um and then Nicolas Cage is one of my favorite actors. And this is, he's amazing here. Like he, I don't know how he does it, but he does such a great job of differentiating both characters that not even through speech or just, just the way he carries himself. You're very, you, you, you know, which character it is. Um, and uh, usually that's confusing when somebody's playing, you know, two characters or whatever, but it's very much not. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Um, there, Charlie Kaufman, um, actually, you know, he, he wrote that the screenplay was written by Charlie and Donald, even though Donald's not a real person. And the screenplay was actually nominated for an Academy Award under both names. Um, so, and he won. So the, the award actually was rewarded to Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, even though it was really only written by Charlie Kaufman, so that, that was kind of funny. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, this was included among the 1,000 movies you must see before you die. Um, and it's also included on Roger Ebert's uh, great movies list. So um, yeah, what are your, what are your thoughts? I haven't seen this recently enough to say anything about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I I haven't seen it too recently, but I've seen I've seen it a few times. I, yeah, because like I went and saw this in the theater because I love being John Malkovich, um, and um, have since even become more a fan of Charlie Kaufman. He went on to write Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is another great movie, and um, he wrote. Um, Oh, that uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind or whatever with Sam Rockwell. Um, and yeah, so he's definitely, he hasn't done as much since. But anyways, um, but yeah, so I, I went and saw this in the theater. I was really excited about it and just loved it and um, have since watched it quite a few times. It's been a minute now, but um, but yeah, uh, it's definitely one of my favorites um, for all the reasons I said. It just, you know, it's just mm -hmm. like my kind of movie. Just It, it just everything about it is just like I, I love it and 
and and I and I love movies that are unlike anything that I've ever seen, which Charlie Kaufman does. Um, and so, yeah, especially the way he you know tells the story and and everything, and you know, it's just it's it's a it's what I would call a delight. Like it's just. <laughs> It just, I just watch it, you know, you just, I just, me personally, I watch it with a smile on my face the whole time, just loving every scene, every, every bit of it is just perfect to me. Uh, yeah, speaking of Nicolas Cage, I sent my brother a clip of the unbearable weight of a massive talent. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that movie makes its way out on one of one of my all-time favorites one of these days. Because, because like I said, Nicolas Cage is one of my favorite actors, and uh, if the movie is as good as it looks, like it's definitely going to be another one like this that is just like definitely a guilty pleasure, if nothing else. Yeah, I yeah, I've just added that to my watch list to rewatch it. Yeah, obviously I highly recommend it, so I think you'll enjoy it. <clears throat> 